Welcome to Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Everyone, and welcome to another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. I'm your host, Carter Hockman, and joining me this week is former Middlesbrough uh, midfielder and current NBCSN analyst for the Premier League, Robbie Musto. Thanks for coming on today, Robbie. You're very welcome, Carter. Yeah, interesting to, to join you and chat a little bit about goalkeeping. Obviously, I wasn't a goalkeeper, but I played uh, with many, many really good ones, so it should be fun. Yeah, no, no, typically... I ask everyone on here right away what made them want to become a goalkeeper. Obviously, having never played the position, I have to change the gears a little bit. So I'll, I'll ask you what initially made you maybe want to stray away from playing or, or wanting to play the position. Oh, wow. That's, that's such an interesting question. Um, yeah, I guess when I was a kid, Carter, like, you know, when you're at um, like elementary school, when I was a young kid, I had I could just I was good with my feet. I was good with my feet so I could. You know, it's fun to me, for me to be with the ball, to be dribbling past the other little kids. And me and my mate, Tim Fox, used to play against all the other the kids of the school, it seemed like, and try and dribble around them. So it's never, never in my kind of mind to be a goalkeeper because I wanted to be on the ball. I wanted to be um, that on that side of things. And also, I was kind of little. I, I used to call me um, Little Rob when I was just starting out. Um, they said I'd get lost in the grass on the wing. So I, I was a small a small guy kind of growing up at the beginning. And uh, yeah, again, so combination of those two things probably would be um, why I never really thought about being a goalkeeper. It's so funny. It's just for me, it was always, I always wanted to do the thing that I thought looked the coolest and, and <laughs> you know, goalkeepers to me and diving around, it felt like, I felt like a superhero and that was the, the yeah. attraction for me initially. Yeah. I was just, uh, I mean, also again, like to, when I started playing, we played on, on rock hard, concrete and and uh you know that kind of little little pitches and i i didn't want to be diving around <laughs> again so maybe you're just braver than i am you're telling me you didn't want to dive on the concrete no i did not no so you did then that was that was an attraction for you was it to dive and, <laughs> and hurt yourself on the on the hard surface if that's not normal i'm just learning this today but <laughs> okay but you you've played against some of the best goalkeepers in the world having played in the premier league yourself it's it's a broad question but but what made them such different athletes or maybe even different people for that matter well i think you know obviously my my probably the, the goalkeepers that, that just spring to mind and and you've gone you know you've jumped straight out to, to my professional career and um uh, and at middlesbrough we had some really good goalkeepers um, but probably the best one was Mark Schwarzer. He was actually doing a little bit punchy now. He's an Australian goalkeeper. We picked him up from Bradford. And uh, he was kind of unusual, Carter, because in my experience, right, and it's a, we know it's a big cliche that to be a goalkeeper, you've got to be a little bit crazy, a little bit mad. Um, and yeah, most of them were. But Mark Schwarzer wasn't. He was a very smart, articulate, intelligent, calm human being that was very, very tall and had great, yeah, just had great hands. His main attribute with his hands uh, and, and dominating the box across his and very calm, really safe pair of hands. What he wasn't good at, by the way, Carter, was kicking the ball. I mean, this is back in the, so we're talking now kind of mid nineties, mid, mid to kind of, yeah, mid to late nineties. And um, of course the, the kicking of the ball became more prevalent, more important for goalkeepers when you couldn't pick the ball up anymore. And he was really poor. And it was really eye-opening for me to see our coach that was Paul Barron, who was a very good goalkeeper back in his day. I think he was a goalkeeper for Aston Villa. Um, very good goalkeeper. And I, I used to watch the two of them working together and Paul Barron trying to 
instill a technique into Mark Schwartz that just was not natural, didn't come easily, but it worked. It worked. And from, from scooping a ball that hardly got to the halfway line and was a little embarrassing for us, he, you know, put his toe down and he'd strike through the ball and it got much, much better. Again, a, a lesson for everybody that, you know, if you work on something enough with, I guess, with the, re- the right instruction and you can get a lot better. So Mark Schwartz springs to mind straight away when you talk about goalkeepers because he was very, very good and his kicking got a lot better. I guess the ones that I played against, Carter, just, you know, you just thinking of a headline name really would be Peter Schmeichel. Peter Schmeichel... Um, Wow, in so many ways, was was so good, so dominant, such a big personality. He had this this technique that I'm sure you're aware of, where he spread himself like a star and, and, and intimidated players running onto him. Um, just a a massive personality and a big part of Man United's success. Um, so just you know, quickly off the top of my head, you know, of course, there's lots of goalkeepers that I played against and played with, but those two, one that I played with and against, would probably be the headliners. Was there something about their their specific personalities that that reaffirmed that stigma for you about goalkeepers? Uh, <laughs> well, um, well, again, th- these are f- two very different ones, Carter. And, and you know, the the cliche is about they're all a little bit crazy. They all don't mind flying in on the ground to to, to getting kicks in the face, or you know, flying trying to uh, punch a ball out between huge players in a in a set piece situation. This is an example of two very different types, isn't it? So it isn't it is a cliche, and it's not always true. Mark Schwartz was very different. Peter Schmeichel was um, was overbearing, was was loud, was in your face. Whether it's whether his own teammate, of course, then you notice it as an opposing player. Um, yeah, I, I, most of the others were were. I mean, God, go right back to the beginning. Um, and Steve Pears was a goalkeeper at Middlesbrough that was 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 talented, not super tall. But just talking about personality and character, he was fiery. He was a he was an angry <laughs> he was an angry man, and I think that drove him into the the physical challenges that you need to make as a goalkeeper. And that's why a lot of us players like wow, you know, you, know, it, it, you kind of squirm at some of the challenges that goalkeepers, I guess, at all levels have to make. And um, you know, again, Steve Pears think you know, stands out as a. A, a, a angry man that, that that got fired up in a way to produce those performances off the field for the most part he was was calm and a lovely guy I mean the more I think about them the more they're going to come to me but but majority had something about their personality that was brave I guess brave angry um, a big personality loud confident a little bit crazy yeah that that is the majority of the guys that, that I experienced in my 20 years as a pro was there something about me when you first met me that said, you know, loud, crazy, a little bit aggressive? <laughs> Not really. I didn't get to know you that well, Carter, unfortunately. I saw you play, of course, and, uh, you know, very impressed. Um, but Thank no, you. but, but, but I, you know, I have to ask my, my, my boys about you, I guess. But um, no, I, I, do you feel that that's a part of you? Do, you? do you feel, can you recognize some of the things I'm talking about as the way that you kind of uh, approach it as, as a goalkeeper? I can recognize p- bits and pieces. I was never really the the aggressive or the aggressor as a goalkeeper. Mm. You know, I was I was trained and taught that you need to you can't second guess yourself. So in in that way, I guess I would say, yeah, there were some moments in my career or my my playing days where I knew I had to commit to something, and that made me uh, mm. uh, that 
they gave the appearance of aggression, but I was never that goalkeeper that could really scream at his back line. I tried and it didn't, it wasn't a good color on me. So I was more of the, the mm. analytical, making sure I was controlling everything and less focused on the, the heat of the moment anger. Yeah. And I mean, nowadays, Carter, you know, goalkeepers are, have got to, you know, they really have got to be, be strong with their communications. And again, Again, this, 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 you know, as long as more we talk about it, we are going to talk about different types of personalities. And some, you know, David De Gea, for, for instance, doesn't strike me as somebody that, that is uber confident in being um, forthright and demanding of his defenders. But he does. You know, it's, you've got to do that. You've got to communicate with the defending players, um, whether, whether it's comfortable or not. And I think, you know, that's an interesting difference of personality. And I think, you know, you, you, we can't all throw goalkeepers into one box of what they're like, because you've just described yourself as something a little different. And Mark Schwartz was a little bit different. But, but you know, in that side of things, they have to communicate. Um, I used to line a wall up. So I was always in communication with our goalkeeper because I was the one that would line the wall up, face the ball, then turn around, flip around and look at the goalkeeper. And I need communication. It's there's you know, anything from 30, 50, 60,000 people screaming. I need him to, to scream at me or to point and direct me to where he wants the wall. So communication is a big part of it. And, um, you know, however they do it, it's uh, it's super important that, that that message comes across. Yeah, when I was playing, there weren't really 60,000 people yelling at me. But <laughs> I, liked, I liked to envision it, but it's, <laughs> it's such a polarizing position. You know, obviously incredibly criticized and put under a massive microscope by, by fans and even some analysts, I won't say who. Mm-hmm. But, yep. but in, terms of, in terms of talent, every goalkeeper, when they get to, the, to a level like the Premier League or La Liga or even MLS, has all those intangibles. They're all incredible shot stoppers. They all have great footwork and are great with communication, but what separates those goalkeepers from the Manuel Neuer's of the world? Like when you're watching a game, what makes you look at a goalkeeper and think, okay, he's special. He's head and shoulders above the rest. Mm. There's a couple of things, Carter, a couple of things. And um, I think first, first and foremost, I think you're absolutely right. Majority of, of the goalkeepers that now that I work with and I, and I analyze and I, I watch are all very good shot stoppers. Some are, some are exceptional, but they're all very, very good. Um, I think for the most part, the longer kicking stuff is okay. The technical side of the football um, playing out is something that there's a bit of variety in that. Um, but but I, I, I just, I think the decision-making is probably number one. Decision-making of goalkeepers, when to come off their line for a cross, when to stay on the line, when to come out for a ball that's chipped over the top of the back of your, of your defensive unit and you've got to come out and clear it. Or is the attacker going to get there first? I mean, there's so, or, or, or a, a, a winger comes into the box and you goalkeeper, you think you can come out and you can go down and you can, we've seen millions of those cards where the goalkeeper either gets the ball with his hands or he trips the uh, attacking player. It's a decision-making that is absolutely the number one thing. And, and I'm pretty confident that most goalkeepers would, would, uh, would agree with that. Just to make the right decision at the right time in the split second, whether you're, you know, you're going to tend, you're going to go on the side of a little bit more uh, bravado, and you you fancy your chances of coming out and punching a ball or winning that winning that ball, or other goalkeepers are a little bit more cautious and and tend to stay on their line and maybe demand more of their defending players. So I I, I think of all the things attributes for what I've seen, I think the decision making. Um, would probably be the number one thing of what makes a, a great goal or the most important part of goalkeeping, assuming, of course, that the, 
the the basics are kind of there uh, in terms of their technique. Now, you also get to work with arguably the greatest American goalkeeper of all time and Tim Howard, a personal hero of mine, in fact, but, but that's besides the point. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things that he's pointed out to you in his own analysis that have taught you things about the position? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very good. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Fascinating working with Tim. And, uh, you know, there's, there's a, I, I didn't know him beforehand. And, and you know, you, you, you get to understand quickly why he, he got to the, to the place he did in the game. Very, very um, good talker. Very good in terms of his preparation for shows. Work ethic. You know, we had a we had a lot of shows in a short period of time, um, and he never complained about it. He was thrown in at the deep end, really, with the pandemic and the the congested uh, schedule. But yeah, super guy, super super guy. Um, some of the things that I've picked up, um, he's got a great eye. Uh, I, I, you know, as you as you assume for goalkeeping stuff. So here, what what's fascinating, Carter, and it's 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 something that me or whoever else is not. He, he knows when we're looking at our, the game stuff and the, and the little highlights and the replays, he kind of knows what's happened with the shot. He'll know if there's a deflection. He'll know whether the goalkeeper got a touch before anybody else. He'll know whether the shot's going in or not. He'll know whether the, the, the position of the goalkeeper is right or not. I mean, we, we, you know, we're employed by NBC to give our opinion. And I'll do that on goalkeeper situation as well. But of course, I'm absolutely open to be, to be uh, questioned by you know, a superb international top class goalkeeper. So that's, that's what's nice about having Tim on our set, but this eye is eye for certain things related to anything in and around the box is, is, is pretty good. And, you know, there'd be things that he says that, that what well, he's quicker, he's just quicker, you know, he, you know, he's got a very good eye. I, I don't know how, the, how else to describe it. He's, I guess he's been there so many times. He's looking for deflections. He's looking for, for, for interference on a goalkeeper. He's looking for contact on a goalkeeper. He's looking uh, at angles that goalkeepers make. And, and of course, you know, when he says, when he feels strongly about something with his goalkeeper analysis, you know, who are we really to, to argue too hard about that? Though we, we will if we feel that we have a difference of opinion. But of course, that's why Tim's with us. That's what he gives us. And just his experience um, is really interesting in, in general uh, our highlights and analysis where he's in the goalkeeping stuff, as you'd expect, he's, a, he's one step ahead with picking out things that like, really, there was a, somebody got a deflection there because he, he understands the movement of a goalkeeper and the movement of a shot. Uh, or if there's a swerving ball, he'll, he'll um, recognize that first. So yeah, that, that's some of the initial things that um, we have the benefit of now working with Tim Howard. It's so interesting because from from my perspective, when I'm watching, you know, the broadcast and, and it'll cut to you guys in the studio <clears> and I'll, I'll have, I'll have taken notes and I'll, I'll remember a, a key save or, or you know, and a very incredible acrobatic save. And I'll, I'm like, all right, I can't wait for, for Tim Howard to break this down and see how mm. technical he gets with it. And he'll be like, yeah, it was a good save. Or, yeah, yeah. it was a simple expected save. Does he, does he ever say anything where you're like, oh, I wish he analyzed that more? Well, it's interesting. I think, I think that's a good point. I mean, I, I think... One of the before we get into that a little bit, Carter, I think that with um, what we do at NBC and the the time uh, restrictions, it's very difficult. It's very difficult to find the time sometimes to to have um, you know that amount of time to break down stuff in a technical way. And 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 yeah, I, I I'll be honest with you, I, I agree in some ways that we should do more than that. We should do more of that, and he should do more of that. But it's not on him yeah. for the most part. It's because 
we've got five highlights to do. It's because we've got a game lineup. We've got to do lineups in, in two minutes' time. It's, you know, we have four games in a, in, a, in, a, in a day. But I think, yeah, I think it's something that we will be doing more of when the schedule gets back to normal for next season because it was very different. I'm sure you noticed it, Carter, with the, the amount of games and the way that they were spread out for TV, so, and which meant that we had to do back-to-back-to-back-to-back games a lot, and it just reduces your time. Also, you know, we, we have, because of the pandemic, because of um, labour situation in our, in, our, in our tape room, in our, in our, in our company, the, we had less people to help us with that because of the pandemic and because of social distancing in our, in our um, edit rooms and stuff. So we will do more of that. He will do more of that, and I think that's something that that we look forward to. But there, there's been there's been a few analyses of what he's done that's been interesting. But I think you know what you're looking for, right? And I think people would enjoy it, and I would enjoy it. Is it's going to take minutes? You know, it's going to it's like he's going to break down the positioning, or his footwork, or his line of sight, or his body weight move. I mean, all that kind of stuff is probably what I, I would think would be fascinating. And yeah, we haven't seen a lot of that. But but I'm again, I'm I'm putting that mostly down to. Wow, our show is so quick. It really is quick with with stuff that we have to do, and we simply at times don't have the time, the mi- the seconds, the minutes on on live air to be able to do too much of that at the moment. And you kind of you kind of mentioned it a little bit, but is there something that you wish, like you you see something in a game? Is there or movement with a goalkeeper, a particular save or a particular error? Is there something that you wish he would kind of break down for you? Something that you don't quite understand? Um. I think positioning, I think we'll get more of that from him. And that's the, in, what, what you want is insight, right? It's insight. It's stuff that we don't know. And I know basic stuff like most of the viewers or some of the viewers possibly, but I'd love to know a little bit more about, um, you know, he, he has talked about uh, footwork and stuff like that and, and weight, weight, shifting his weight and, or not shifting it in given situations, free kick situations. There's a ton of stuff, Carter, that we can, we can do. Free kicks. What's his philosophy on free kicks? How does he line a wall up? What does he want his, his charging player to do? You know, which side of the wall does he favour? Does he come off the line? What's he like a goalkeeper? Does he want? You know, he, he um, you know, does he does he study? Does he know which side the players go? Does he not? I, I saw um, uh, Peter Schmeichel on on TV in the US saying that he didn't want to know. He did not want to know anything about the penalty takers. That he would just figure it out on the day and he'd look into their eyes and he just and he'd. He'd figure out with their body movement coming up to strike the ball, where it's most likely to go in the goal. Where I think Tim's different. I think Tim did have all the information before you go into a penalty shootout. So I, I think getting back to your question, I think the positioning part of it is is really interesting. I think the the lightness on your feet. I mean, I, I think I did a breakdown on um, Edward Mendy at Chelsea um, a few months ago now, and I and I. Uh, I was fascinated how he bounces on his feet all the time and he's like ready to spring more than others because it was different. So I, you know, I, I, I picked out a few clips and I put a little package together of Edward Mendy just poking it. You know, you, you think about it, somebody's looking to shoot around 25 yards. He's, he's moving in on the goal line. He's, he's bent, reaching his head around to see the player. He's bent, he's bouncing on his, he's like a coiled spring ready to go. And, um, so I thought that was interesting, but I'm sure Tim will bring that. And I, I think the position of the goalkeeper is interesting. And, and then I'll near post the near post debate, you know, where the goalkeeper should be beaten at the near post. I think Tim's view, and again, we'll get more of this, is it's not always as bad as what people think it is. You know, you overcover that near post and you leave the other side of the goal, depending, of course, on the angle of the shot coming in. So I think the intricacies of it, the stuff that I don't know enough of and the, the, the stuff that made him 
an international goalkeeper at the highest level would would be what I want to see Carter. But other than that, you know, I guess we'll have to wait. We'll have to wait to see what he brings, what he suggests suggests to to, to our um to our edit room. Again, he's he's still pretty he's pretty new at um at the TV thing really, particularly with us and the detail that we can go into and the support that we do get when things are back to normal. I think that's when we'll see more of this into next season where he's a little bit more comfortable with his surroundings. And it's you know it's it's not an easy thing to, to jump into, and I know he's done bits before on, on different networks. But you know, NBC is a is a is a really um, demanding network and producers that that have a real set way of doing things, and it sometimes takes a little bit of time to to get familiar. But uh, yeah, I mean, what an asset Tim Howe is going to be for our broadcast going forward to to bring that goalkeeping um, experience. Oh, absolutely. And, and moving, moving back to the, the position itself a little bit, hmm. we kind of talked a little bit, you, you, you glanced over a little bit earlier at the beginning, but the position has changed drastically since, you know, since you were a player in the 90s. And in doing so, it's yep. very much changed the way the game is played as a whole. A, a lot of people I know really point to a guy like Manuel Neuer, who I, who I mentioned earlier, but there was, a, was there a moment where you saw goalkeeping change from being basically just a shot stopper with cleats on to essentially a midfielder who can save shots? I think there's two two elements in the history of it that, for me, have been huge. The first one was the goalkeeper, um, the pass-back rule, and that changing. That was as big a change as we've ever seen in goalkeeping, I, w- I, would, I would say. Uh, that law change really ended some goalkeepers' careers, the ones that, that couldn't kick it very well. I mean, I'm going back way back now, Carter, and probably you know, way before you, I, I'm not even sure when it was changed, but that, but you asked me for my experience, goalkeepers and I, you know, defending players that could just turn on the ball and roll it back to goalkeeper who then picks it up and the whole thing stops. That was pretty nice for goalkeepers. So when that went away, and again, I, I, I was it, was it eighties, nineties was that? I, I didn't even know when it was early nineties, possibly, or, or in the mid eighties. I don't know. Um, that's a huge change, isn't it? Well, you roll a goal a ball back now, and the and the forwards are rushing back at him, and he's got to touch it, he's got to maneuver the ball and kick it upfield. One thing I, I want to touch on quickly is that I don't think people realise, and well, I know they don't realise, that the speed of footballers, the speed of the play and professional game, and why I say that is, if if somebody rolls a, a ball back to a goalkeeper that can't pick it up anymore, has to first touch the ball to a position where he can strike it, that touch has to be perfect. OK, if it's not perfect, he has a difficult clearance or he could get closed down. If he has to move the ball again, he's going to get closed down. So the, so the first touch, of the, because of the speed of players and people don't realize that because they, they're tuned to what they see, which is really high level stuff. But you put a bad goalkeeper in a, in, a, in a Premier League game or an average goalkeeper from a lower league and his first touch isn't right. You're going to see it straight away because players will jump on them. You sometimes see it now in the Premier League where goalkeepers take a little bit too too much time on the ball because, you know, they're, they're just trying to manoeuvre the ball to, to kick it upfield or wherever, or they try a little trick and players are quick. I mean, it's a, it's a difficult situation for goalkeepers. That was a big change. And then, you know, I, I just think in general, the way the game has changed more recently in the last decade, where playing out from the back has become a thing now. And I think, you know, when you look at Man City and the, the Joe Hart situation with Pep Guardiola and um, that he needs his goalkeepers to be really good on the ball, really good on the ball. I think that's another part of goalkeeping. When you sort of say about things that have changed, that has to be right up there right now. Manuel Neuer is superb at it. Edison, by the way, I'm sure 
I'm sure you realize that is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. In fact, I enjoy, I enjoy him getting the ball because he's got all sorts of passes in his head. He's got the vision to see things. He's got a tremendously strong left foot, as we know. He, he has got a brilliant picture. So as, as, as footballers, you know, you're taught to have a picture of everybody on that field before the ball gets to you. So when it comes to you, you haven't got to look. And he's got that ability. He's, he's developed that. He's learning it or what, naturally or whatever. So you can roll in the ball and he, he might be moving to his left-hand side and he reverses a ball to the, to the right winger. Or he sees the, you know, I think we saw in the, in the, in the, um, the Champions League final, didn't we? I think with a, with a huge ball over the top that catches up defenders. He can hit a ball from, from his old goal right over the defending line, obviously. So... They're the ones that excelled at it. Others have, have, have struggled with it a little bit. I think I'm not sure how good David De Gea is with his feet. He's okay. Um, so that's another change. So, so yeah, the, those two parts of what really has brought on goalkeeping to a different level where you've got to be increasingly a better footballer, in advert commas, than you ever had to before. And I remember, especially by the time I got to college, that was the first thing that was the biggest thing that my coaches wanted me to work on every single year, every single training session was they wanted to get at least have us, they wanted to have us work at least one drill with our feet, making sure we were distributing out to our wingbacks, seeing if we could play, seeing if we could play balls, those balls over to the top, like, like Ederson does. I don't even know how many assists Ederson had this season, (laughs) but it was, it was incredible. And I think it does actually shift into my next question, which is because it does change the way goalkeepers think. Um, and that mental aspect of the game, it's, it's, it's the biggest thing that I think gets lost on a lot of people from the outside looking in. From your time around the game, both on the pitch and, and behind the desk, I, I know the word resiliency gets thrown around, but what have you learned about what it takes mentally to, the, to play the position? What do you think it is that a lot of fans just don't understand about it? Mm. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I think it's a, it's a really important part of any debate on goalkeeping Carter and again, my the first thought that goes into my mind is just just the the loneliness, the the pressure, the um, the stress that goalkeepers are in, involved with. And maybe this goes back to our very first question about what makes a goalkeeper and, and the mentality part of it. Can you imagine when you've got you know huge crowd and a huge crowd behind you? that's that's examining every single touch every single movement every single goal that goes in potentially your fault the pressure that goalkeepers are under in, in terms of making mistakes is is the most on the field i as a midfield player i can make a mistake i can make a bad pass um and i'll get a few boos from the crowd immediately but the game goes on if a goalkeeper makes a, a big error i mean it's it's replayed it's ridiculed the fans will, you know, be charting his name. The pressure that those guys are under has to be, you know, when you talk about mentality, the, the, the difference and, and why it is such a pressure position. So that would be my answer to that really is that just the pure scrutiny and the, the, the week in, week out pressure that goalkeepers live with on mistakes and making mistakes. And yes, of course, they'll enjoy the great saves. They'll take the cheers and the roars, et cetera, from that. But I tell you what, they'll remember the mistakes a load more and that will hurt more. And, and that won't be forgotten as much as the, the, the cheers and the, you know, the applauses for, for great saves. So that's was what I, that I guess would be my, my admiration for goalkeepers that have to live with that 
every single week where others on the field just don't. They just don't. I mean, strikers get a little bit of stick for missing chances, of course, yes. That would be the closest thing in terms of pressure and expectation. But goalkeepers on that side of things have to deal with that. And that, I, I would imagine, is, is not easy. Yeah, one of the things that, that came to my mind was Karius with Liverpool in the Champions League performance that, you know, he cool. just, yeah. you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and, and um, listen, I, I think there's something, horrendous errors, Carter, and, uh, you know, what you're going to, you feel for him on a human level, but in that case, he, he wasn't, ready or capable to handle that day now whether he's just not that talented as a goalkeeper potentially yes potentially yes but he might argue you know everybody makes mistakes I made mine on one particular day I mean pretty bad mistakes and but that's how brutal it is that's how brutal it is I'm not going to sit here and say you know the the oh you know we feel for him he made bad errors and you know it it, it and at that level, and what it costs you to to your teammates and the club, and the, again, I know he doesn't, he didn't do it deliberately, and maybe you know he shouldn't have been in that goal, and somebody else should have been at Liverpool Football Club, and somebody else should have been selected. Um, but but yeah, a, a really bad day at the office, and and again, what a mental tough thing that is to get over, not just on the day, but in his career, you know, to to have that game behind him. But again. That that's what goalkeepers live with that sort of day, and and I and I don't envy them. That's that's a horrible thing to to have to have over you. But again, that's what makes the the super cool, calm goalkeepers as good as they are because they can handle it, and they and they of course have superb natural talent as well. Now, shifting gears a little bit, one of the things I talk about a lot on this podcast is the importance of the second, third, and, and fourth goalkeepers on the roster and what they mean to the rest of the team. From your time as a player, can you speak to that level of importance? What do those backup goalkeepers contribute to the rest of the squad? Well, they, they're they always there if something happens to the first-team goalkeeper. Uh, again, it, it's, it takes a certain type of individual to be okay with that. Um, there was a guy that I played with called Kevin Paul, and I think he was a, a number two goalkeeper for, for almost 20 years or even 25 years. He just didn't play many first team games. But he was, I guess he was OK with that. He was OK with it. And he was reliable. He was a decent goalkeeper. But he wasn't one of those that, that threw his arms up in the air and knocked on the manager's door. Why am I not playing? When am I going to get a chance? He was OK with it. For the most part, in my experience, again, the number two goalkeepers will hang around for you know, a couple of years, and most of them want to play. Most of them want to play, and it's different, isn't it? You know, I know we're seeing a situation at, uh, at Man United this season where um, maybe there wasn't a set number one, but for the most part, there is a number one, and there is a number two and three. And if you're not okay with that, then after a season or two seasons, you've got to go and say, listen, you know, I appreciate your decisions, but I want to move on. I want to play. And that's when you get into different types of professionals, whether they're happy or whether they're not happy. Most of them are not happy and then most of them will go, want to go and play. So that's around the training ground, Carter, um, mostly absolutely fine, honestly. And the, the relationships and the, the camaraderie is absolutely great. Too many goalkeepers that I could mention that got on fine with it. They were challenging the goalkeeper, the number one. Of course they were. But there was never any animosity um, 
And, you know, they were there and they were good teammates and they warmed each other up and they would congratulate each other. Of course, at times there's going to be a little bit of bad feeling or a little bit of disappointment. But, yeah, for the most part, you get on with it as professionals. You challenge the number one because you never know. A loss of form. Keep yourself in good shape and you'll get some opportunities. But after a couple of years of that, most of them want to move on and play, which is, which in my opinion, is the right thing to do. Go and play. Don't Don't be, you know... Everybody can't be number ones. I get that, but find find a place where you can play because that's where the enjoyment comes. That's where the fulfillment comes. The sporting challenge, everything else. So, um, yeah, that that's kind of what I've seen uh, in, in that regard. Yeah, I mean, in terms of you know contribution to the rest of the squad, I would I would ask maybe sort of in phrasing it differently. How important is it to have those second or third goalkeepers that have that positive attitude that are that are okay with you know, being, being ready for games, but are also contributing to the, 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 uh, the development of the rest of the team. Mm. See, see, the first thing I'll say, Carter, is that, that you and I come from this from, from, from different places, okay? And in the professional game, this is different, and, and, and that's what I can speak to. Now, in, in high school or in college teams, I'm sure, you know, it's, it's, it's uber important that everybody gets on and the second, third goalkeeper are part of it all and they're all, all right. And that's all the nice stuff that I'm sure is important and goes on. In my experience and the professional game, I don't really care. I don't, I, 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 I'm doing my job and our goalkeeper will do his job. And as I just said to you, for the most part, the, the, the reserve goalkeepers, they'll do their bit and they're part of the squad and they're absolutely fine. If there wasn't, if, if there was a goalkeeper that was a moody so-and-so and he didn't get on very well with the first-team goalkeeper, so, so be it. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a professional. I'm not going to let that affect me. And, and I think that's the difference when you get to the professional level that, you know, we, we, we grow thick skin. We, we, I, I don't, you know, whatever happens, it's not going to affect me. I'm playing for my career, my livelihood, my position in the team. If there's stuff that goes on and we don't, I don't get on with anybody or there's other players that try and kick me in training and we have flare-ups, we have bust-ups, that's fine. Do you know what I mean, Carter? And that's what I'll, I'll try. And It sounds cold, but that's kind of what it's all about at the professional level. Again, you know, that's something that if you're in that environment, Tim Howard, these other guys would say the same thing. Everybody's trying to do what's best for them. And, and mostly got reserve goalkeepers, reserve team players, get on with it. But they're not super happy. They want to be playing. Um, and and as, from, from a first-teamer point of view, I'm, I'm okay whichever way it is. If they're great lads, I get on with well with them. And they're super, super um, uh, encouraging, etc., and great teammates, if you like. That's great. If they're not, you know, doesn't bother me that much, mate. No, and I think that is that's an interesting answer, just because it is it does highlight the biggest differences between, especially in the states, when you play at the highest level in college versus when you get to that professional level. Because yeah. when you're, you know, when you're in the college level, when you're when you're at the Division One, Two, Three level, you the your teammates and your family, you're not playing for your livelihood. You're playing. You're yeah. representing something bigger than yourself. But you know, you're right. When you get to that professional level, you you have to advocate for yourself as a player and in in. Provide yeah, essentially and, for yourself, and also yeah, and also college players. I mean, they, it's not just about that, is it? You know, they're going to be going out together. They're going to be in classes together. Going to be hanging out together. It, it, it is a lot more important. And I coached, um, I coached Boston College for for one season fully in two thousand seven, and I loved it. And the team spirit was important, and it was it was and it was special. 
And of course, when you start to win, everybody buys in and it's kind of fun. You, you, you know, I, I got a sense that the, the group felt something special was happening. We were winning a lot. We won, we won the ACC conference. We won the ACC tournament. It was, it was great. And everybody's bought in. And then, you know, after we finished training our games, they're off and they're doing stuff. They're going out for the old party, I'm sure. They're together. It's different. You know, professionals, totally different. And it's, and that's where, where you know, I'm not going to sugarcoat what happens in a professional situation because uh, I'm just telling you honestly how it was. And uh, it's different. And it's, it's um, I guess it's just, it's harsher. It's a harsher world. And, 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 and maybe it needs to be given what's at stake and it's your career and it's your family and it's you know trying to do the best you can for, for those that's absolutely true um well, robbie I, it's i really appreciate you uh taking the time today it was I, I had a great i had a great time talking to you today no problem carter it was fun it's a different angle i don't i don't get to talk as long as this is because of our shows on nbc are, are pretty short but it's nice to get a little bit of uh, conversation a little bit of different thought and different question and challenging me in different ways um, bring up some of the past goalkeepers, but uh, I've got nothing but respect, mate, for, for you and everybody else that, that listens and that are goalkeepers and love goalkeeping. Uh, super, super brave position, mentally tough position. And now with the added kind of parts of, of kicking and, and making the right decisions on the ball and getting caught on, in possession and playing out from the back, it's a very complicated um, position and very respected from my point of view. So um, Carter, it's fun, mate, and uh, we'll have to do it again sometime. Absolutely. I couldn't think of a better place to end it. This has been another episode of Just for Keeps, the podcast all about goalkeepers. Thank you very much again to Robbie Musto from NBCSN for coming on today. I have been your host, Carter Hockman. We will see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Just for Keeps.